remain standing in reverence to God's holy word. Today's text comes from John chapter 17, verses 13 and 20 through 26. And the word of the Lord says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved me, and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. You can be seated. Uh, We've been working our way through John 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus for the past several weeks. And it's a prayer that Jesus is praying for his disciples, but not just for the 12 disciples who are in the room with him at at this particular moment in time, but also uh, for those... Uh, who are going to come in the future. John 17, 20. Uh, Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, not just for these disciples with me right now, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So Jesus is not only praying for the 12, he's praying for you and he's praying for me. And in this prayer, Jesus makes five specific petitions, five requests of God the Father. Uh, He prays, one, Father, protect them. Two, Father, unify them. Three, Father, sanctify them. Four, Father, give them joy. And five, Father, hold them together. So today we're talking about the fourth petition that Jesus makes. Father, give them joy. Now, I want you to think about this for just a moment. These are uh, um, Jesus' last words of earthly ministry that he's sharing with his disciples and lasting, uh, last words have a lasting impact, right? Uh, and I bet if we went around the room and we talked for a moment uh, with everybody in the room, if we gave everybody a moment to share, each of us could probably talk about a moment in time where there was someone we cared deeply about and they shared a last word with us, uh, a moment uh, that sticks in our minds, uh, that made an impact on us. And John... Chapter 14 through 16, we see Jesus' last meal and his last words with his disciples. And during this time, he's comforting them and he's assuring them. It's almost ironic because Jesus is less than a day from being betrayed and arrested and tortured and brutally executed on the cross. But it's Jesus who should be comforted right now, who is doing all the comforting. If you read these three chapters of of Scripture... You see Jesus encouraging his disciples to not be troubled, that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to comfort them. He tells them to obey the words that he has taught them. 
and they will bear a lot of fruit in life if they do. And in John 15, 11, Jesus sort of encompasses it all in one statement. He explains the reason for everything that he's telling his disciples, those 12 and you and myself, in these final moments they have together. He says in John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So even facing death, Jesus was concerned about our joy. Not a little bit of happiness, but the most enjoyable fullness of joy that is capable of being experienced. And I think it's important for us as we get deeper into this idea that we understand that there's a difference between happiness and joy. There's at least 25 different Hebrew words in the Bible for joy. Uh, Ten different Greek words in the Bible for joy. But the specific word that Jesus uses here for joy is kara. It's a feeling of inner gladness, delight, or rejoicing. It's based on spiritual realities, and it's independent of what happens or what is happening in the world around us. So joy is the deep-down sense of well-being that abides in the heart of the person who knows all is well between himself and the Lord. So my cornbread definition for Christian joy is this. It's a state of internal gladness that persists no matter what your circumstances are. Contentment no matter what is going on in the world around you. Enduring hope even in the darkest times. Joy is a gift from God delivered to believers by the Holy Spirit that enables us to experience the beauty of Christ in heaven and on earth. Now, this goes beyond just the temporary happiness that we might experience when the weather is nice or when the bank account is full of money or when the kids are acting right in, the right, in a nice restaurant or when your favorite politician is in office. Happiness is always circumstantial. Happiness always depends on some external circumstance. But joy is different. It's a deep and abiding and unchanging state of being, no matter how happy or unhappy you might be. It's not circumstantial. It's a feeling in your soul that you get from being in a right relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Happiness depends on external circumstances. Joy depends on your eternal disposition. Okay, so here's what we're going to do today. We're going to talk real quick uh, about four facts about joy so we can understand what Jesus is praying that we might have fully and completely. And what we want to know today is fact one, Jesus is ultimately concerned uh, with our joy. John 17, 24. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus offers us an inexhaustible relationship, a storehouse of joy that has existed since before time began, before the creation of the universe. Eternal life in the presence of God is never disappointing. It's never boring. It's never frustrating. 
Uh, Proverbs 8, 30 and 31 describes a Jesus who is in a constant state of delight and rejoicing in the presence of God the Father. And he's been there since before the foundation of the world. In fact, Scripture throughout the Bible is inundated and it's absolutely bursting with the idea that the primary byproduct of a relationship with God is joy. What is the gospel? Luke 2.10 says it's good news that will cause great joy. How does Jesus react when a person repents of their sins and comes to him for salvation? Uh, Matthew 18.13 says, Truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. And Luke 15.7, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Uh, what is the goal of reading the Bible? Jeremiah fifteen sixteen says, When your words came, I ate them, and they were my joy and my heart's delight. What's the goal of prayer? Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Uh, what's the goal of fellowship with other believers? Second John 12 says, I hope to visit you and talk with you face to face so that our joy may be complete. Uh, what does it mean when you experience trials and difficulties in life? James 1-2 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Uh, what does it mean when you suffer? Uh, Romans 5 verses 3 through 5 says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. What is death if you are faithful to Christ? Matthew 25, 21 says, that's the moment when, when you hear the words, enter into the joy of your master. And what will eternal life be like? Psalm 16 uh, says, I have set the Lord always before me because he has met my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So when Jesus says that his desire is for his followers to be with him and experience his glory, an aspect of that glory is unending joy, hope on earth, and happiness in eternity that nothing can compare to. So Jesus, as well as the entire Christian faith, is ultimately concerned with our joy. The second fact of joy we're going to take note of today is this, and that's no amount of suffering we experience can overcome joy. In fact, joy and suffering have a really unique scriptural relationship. In John chapter 16, verses 20 through 24, Jesus said this, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you. 
Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Now, remember, joy is not the same thing as happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. It's in the moment. But joy is being able to maintain hope and inner peace even when the world around you is angry and depressing or hateful and broken to pieces and dark. If you have hope in Jesus, then sorrow or suffering isn't the opposite of joy. They coexist. And in the case of Christ, suffering can even produce joy. Jesus uses the example of childbirth, which is an extremely painful experience. I was in the room when both of my girls was born. And and I can tell you, I can still feel those labor pains, right? Uh, In fact, I'm still trying to lose all the baby weight from Reagan, and she's nine years old now. But when that baby is delivered, nobody is thinking about the pain anymore. It's pure, unadulterated joy. The pain of labor doesn't just precede the baby, it produces the baby. The pain results in joy. So Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's about to endure torture. He's going to be spat upon, stripped naked, beaten with whips, have thorns shoved into his forehead, have his face torn apart by being whipped with sharp reeds, and he's going to die an excruciatingly painful death. And here's what he's got on his mind. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Isaiah 53, 11 says, Out of the anguish of his soul, out of the anguish of Jesus' soul during the crucifixion on the cross, he shall see and be satisfied. He'll experience hope and peace even as he's dying. Out of his intense pain and suffering, Jesus experienced a deep, abiding satisfaction and hope, knowing that his momentary pain would produce eternal joy for many. At the very apex, of his own suffering. Jesus desired that we would not have just a little joy, but a fullness of joy, a ridiculous, overflowing, abundant joy. So how can you have joy when your doctor says cancer? How can you have joy when you find out that you're getting divorced? How can you have joy when your family is full of conflict? How can you have joy when work just won't go right? How can you have joy when the people you love the most hurt you the most? Romans 8, 28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Labor pains work together for good. They produce a baby. And even our suffering and even our worry and even our physical pain is a movement toward joy in Christ. And the proof of that is the cross God used this instrument of torture and pain and death, and Jesus was brutalized with it. One man was brutalized in it, with it, and the end result was that many men would be set free from their sins. Hebrews 12.2 says, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. The momentary pain that Christ suffered on the cross produced an eternal salvation and joy in heaven for many. The third fact about joy we're going to talk about today is this. Joy in Christ is an indestructible, unending joy. John 17, 23 and 26 says this, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Psalm 1611 says, In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. Eternal life, in the words of John Piper, is enjoying God with the very joy of God. So Jesus is praying, I desire that those you've given me, all of us, may be with me where I am to see my glory and that they would know the love with which God the Father has loved God the Son, and that that love would be in them. This means that when we're in Christ, we no longer have to experience love in a finite way. The eternal, never-ending love that is shared between God the Father and God the Son becomes part of us. So what does that mean? How does God the Father love God the Son? He doesn't love the way that we love. We're sinners. The love that God has for us is a completely undeserved love. A love that we can't earn with our good looks or our good behavior or with a million likes on our social media posts. The heart of the gospel is Romans 5.8. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were unlovable, Christ loved us and gave himself for us. God the Father loves God the Son as perfectly lovely in every way. God the Father loves God the Son as infinitely worthy of his love. God the Father loves God the Son with immeasurable greatness. God the Father loves God the Son not because he has done anything to earn that affection. He just loves him. At Jesus' baptism in Matthew 3.17, the heavens open up and the voice of God the Father declare, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. In Isaiah 42.1, God the Father describes God the Son as my chosen in whom my soul delights. God loves His Son with a love that never ends and never gives up and never backs down. And it chooses Him and is pleased with Him and it delights in Him. And when we trust in Christ, we're invited to experience that type of love. A love that never ends, that never gives up, that never backs down, that chooses us and is pleased with us and delights in us, even though we're sinners. John 15, 11, then again, Jesus says, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So Jesus desires that we experience the immeasurable love of God 
And that produces in us the indestructible joy of God. We have moments in life that are great. Moments that give us great delight and relief and hope. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he satisfied their hunger with the fishes and loaves. Uh, And then the next day they were hungry again. When the man who lay crippled for 38 years at the pool uh, heard Jesus say, get up and walk. He got up and walked, but guess what? And he was completely healed and he was completely whole. But one day he got sick again. No doubt about it. Lazarus, Jesus calls him out of death, calls him out of the grave. David and I have this conversation fairly frequently about Lazarus, about how Lazarus died again someday. This was not a forever joy for him. And so we experience temporary pleasures in life, temporary blessings from God, Instagram moments or desires or other things that make us happy. In Matthew 25, 21, Christ calls us so to enter into the joy of our master. It's not just saying we'll have a heaven where tears are wiped away and the sickness and depression and loneliness are gone and we're reunited with loved ones who have gone before. All those things will make me extremely happy for sure, but he's promising that we won't be left to our own shallow manifestations of happiness. He's calling us into a never-ending, unbreakable joy. A joy that exceeds our own experience of joy and our own capacity of joy. The joy of God Himself. Ephesians 2, 6 and 7 says, God seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show us the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote about those coming ages, he was talking about eternity. And when he wrote about the immeasurable riches of Christ, he meant they're infinite. We can never exhaust the depth of joy available in Christ It never runs out. There's never a pause. There's never a commercial break. There's always more. Eternal life means eternal joy. And John 17, 3 says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. The eternity of joy doesn't come from possession or money or lust or achievement in life or identity politics. It's available only through faith in Christ. And here's the last fact about joy for today. No earthly joy has the inexhaustible value of the joy of knowing Christ. John 17, verses 25 through 26. Jesus says, O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Joy isn't found in fame or money or things that rust or fade away. Jesus is the only sustainable, unending joy available to man. We settle 
for so much less than Jesus has to offer us. We settle for fake joy. The happiness we get from our team winning a championship or from making money or from some success in life, some mountaintop we shoot for and we reach. But here's what I've learned. If you hit the Powerball and you make a million dollars, a million dollars is never going to be enough for you. Never. Years ago, the first time, I remember reading about it in the journal Constitution, the first time that the, the Powerball hit $400 million, there was an NBA basketball player who went out and he bought $10 million worth of lottery tickets because the $10 million he had in the bank wasn't enough. And you know what he won? Nothing. Not one penny from $10 million worth of lottery tickets. If you win the lottery every time you play, it will never be enough. No amount of physical pleasure will ever make you feel complete. No amount of trophies you win will ever make you feel complete. C.S. Lewis called chasing after these things, chasing after lovers less wild. In 2 Timothy 3.4, Paul talked about people being lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And in all honesty, that's what I am most of the time. We think that if we're handsome and rich and well-liked by everyone, we have joy. We can be satisfied. But none of those things will satisfy you like Jesus. We think that if everything is going our way, we have an abundant life. That abundant life that Jesus talked about in John 10.10. But the fact is that life is only available through relationship with Christ. It begins the second you believe and it never ends. Everything else pales in comparison to knowing Jesus. Paul wrote about it in Philippians 3, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ, that I may Know Jesus. Paul is saying, compared to Jesus, all the money I've ever made is trash. All the trophies I could ever win are rubbish. All the cars and houses I could ever own are a pile of trash. Anything I could achieve is garbage. There is nothing I treasure more than knowing Jesus. And this treasure that Paul wrote about, knowing Jesus, is available to all of us, even sinners like me, and even sinners like you. To just leave behind the old life and embrace a new life in Christ. Then you experience forever joy.
Forever joy is only available from a forever God. And ask our musicians to come. Let's pray. Jesus, all of your mercy and goodness ends in delight. You weep, you experience pain and sorrow, and you suffer so that we can know joy. You offer us a future happiness that won't fade away. So we pray for that joy. We wait for that joy. and We long for that joy. God, reveal to us the joy available through a relationship with Christ. Help us not to settle for lovers less wild and counterfeit joy, but to ache for you more and more. God, if we cry in the night, give us joy in the morning. Help us to find rest in the thought of your magnificent, unending love, in the forgiveness of sins, in the promise of heaven. God, we take what you give us for granted way too often. We thank you for today, for a day that you give us the opportunity to repent, to run to you for forgiveness and grace. God, thank you that one day there will be no more dysfunction and no more disagreements, no more fighting and no more pain, no more sickness and no more worry, no more depression and no more death. We thank you for the day that's coming when we'll experience unending, unadulterated joy. Draw us to you, Lord. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.